0: It's Friday, April 24th. We're studying 2 Peter. We've gotten through chapter 1. Believe it or not, now we are into chapter 2, verse number 1. Here is our passage for the day, so grab your Bibles or... Just look up here at the screen, and we've got it here in front of us. Remember where we've been here? We've been talking about written prophecy, even though we've got this phrase here, spoke from God. The context, of course, as you remember, was those written scriptures that we've been dealing with. And it says that's not produced by the will of man. Uh, And of course, we're looking for the fundamental foundational authority of what it is that we are to believe and what it is we're supposed to do. Uh, It's not from people. Uh, It's not from individuals or men. It's not by their will or their desire, but it's by God speaking through them. It says, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's got divine authority, God's Spirit, third person of the Godhead, giving this information through the prophetic word. And now the problem is going to be, as chapter two opens up here, is there's going to be a lot of false prophets. Now remember, this prophecy, as we've talked about in context, is more than just telling the future. These prophets did more than foretell the future. That was one of the things that punctuated their message to make sure that you knew that they were real prophets, and those things came true, and people knew they were uh, really from God. But most of what is written and most of what was spoken by the prophets of the Old Testament and in the New Testament church was uh, forth telling. It was telling the information from God, and it's stuff that we we're supposed to do and, and live by. And uh, it says, just that there were false ones—this is actually in Greek, one word here, false prophets, a little compound word— false prophets, uh, people who give us false information. Uh, and you can see that here by the parallel word. Now, false. But as false prophets also arose among the people, speaking here of the Old Testament, just as there will be false, uh, false teachers among you, which is a good reminder, teacher, prophet, prophecy, we're talking about mostly the information about uh, what God thinks and who God is. Uh, and they'll secretly, that's the problem, surreptitiously, covertly, bring in destructive heresies, things that are not biblically true talked a lot in our uh, lockdown about having different opinions about things that are matters of opinion in uh, romans chapter 14 for instance but we're not talking about those here we're talking about things that really will be destructive things that will uh, impinge upon our salvation more on that in a minute even denying the master who bought them we can put that in quotes as we'll see bringing upon themselves swift destruction, which is really what the rest of this whole passage is about. So let's think through this and think about the concept of false prophets. Uh, I'll have this here up on the edge. I think this might be helpful as we deal with these cross-references. But Matthew chapter 7, here's the thing about false prophets we need to understand. They come to you in sheep's clothing. If it was something so obvious, I mean, we're not talking about uh, some religion in the first century like Zoroastrianism or in our day, Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam, those things, clearly are not even trying to look like Christianity. Uh, But here, the problem with real truth is that there are false spokespersons who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, really, they're not sheep at all. They're counterfeits, just like a counterfeit is made to be accepted as the real thing, even though it's not the real thing. That's the problem with false teaching. And it's been around. Uh, And it says here, here's another picture of it. And here's some of the motive of it, really. The Lord says concerning the prophets, these are false prophets in the context, who lead my people astray. That's how we know they're false prophets. They cry peace, this is interesting, when they have something to eat, when someone pays them. But they declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. (laughs) That is so... typifying the false teaching and the false prophets to tell people what they want to hear and to tell people what will give them an advantage. And we're going to see that throughout Second Peter. It's echoed in the uh, book of Jude. And uh, anyway, this is the problem, the false prophets. The false prophets are people that are not telling the truth, and usually we'll see a lot of this has to do not with them being deceived about what they think about God, although some of them are sincerely deceived. A lot of them are just actively deceiving, and they're doing it for their own purposes, as we'll see in the rest of chapter uh, 2 here in Second Peter. And it says here they rose among the people, which Micah passage would be enough for us to recognize that. But uh, take a look at just how prevalent they were as we near the end of the uh, of the single kingdom in in Judah in the fifth century BC. We had all of um, all of these people, declaring that everything was fine even though there was compromise and sin and idolatry in uh, Judah. And it says, they've healed the wound of my people. And you can put that in quotes because it really didn't do anything good for them. They healed it lightly. It wasn't real. It was artificial. And they were saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. With God, there wasn't peace, but they were claiming peace. Now, this is Jeremiah 6, 14. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? What's the abomination? Representing God in a way that's not accurate. No, they were not ashamed at all. They didn't even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall, which was coming in 586 B.C., and they would fall to to Nebuchadnezzar. At At that time, I will punish them, and that's the time, 586 B.C., and they will be overthrown, says the Lord. So the false prophets were the ones that were speaking the, tr- uh, the tr- representing uh, God, uh, claiming to speak the truth. And in fact, they were speaking whatever was convenient. And that's the problem with false teachers. And they were among the people. Uh, you see it in Isaiah here. They were hypocrites. The people they honor me, uh, and he's going back to the Isaiah prophecy. It was still in vogue in the first century. People were doing this. People were honoring me with their lips. And I guess the distinction I'm trying to make here is that some people are taking the edge off of the truth and the the edge in particular about sin and repentance. And then here, some people, uh, their hearts are far from uh, God and they have some form of religion. They teach as the doctrine, they teach as doctrines, that is the teaching of God, the commandments of men. And And I just want to show you, there's a lot of different false teachers out there, false prophets. There's the, there are the kind that want to take away from the Word of God, and there's people that want to add to the Word of God. Uh, uh, you leave, and talking about the people that had bought into this, the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So there's really two kinds of false teaching and false prophecy we got to watch out for. People that claim to speak for God, in our case, teach for God, and we'll see that comparison here, false teachers. Uh, the idea of us being careful to see people that want to take away the hard edges of Christianity that are there in the text of scripture. And then there are those that want to add things that they think are appropriate and how to do them. All the way from the confusion about ceremonial laws of the the Old Testament. Remember in in the Galatian churches, uh, Paul was saying they are adding circumcision to salvation and that was part of them adding things. It wasn't a tradition of men, it was a ceremony of the Old Testament, but still there was the adding and there was the subtracting. So, and he says, there are going to be false teachers among you. And we're not just talking about people now that are claiming new revelation, but people that are trying to tell you what the Bible says. And um, it's going to be a problem. And here's what the Bible says, He's still using the word prophet, mostly as a uh, statement of forth not foretelling. Uh, and he speaks of a time that's coming near the end. They'll deliver you up to tribulation uh, and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations on uh, on the count of my name, Matthew 24, 9. Um, and many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise. So I'm just trying to give us a text of Scripture that's looking to you know, down the corridor of time from Jesus's viewpoint. So here we are today, and clearly the Bible says there are going to be many, that's an important phrase there, many false prophets that will arise and lead many astray. A lot of false teachers, a lot of false um, statements about God, about heaven, because of lawlessness, and a lot of it will be that, taking the edge off of Christianity and the truth of it, Um, because of lawlessness will be increased. It says the love of many will grow cold. So you've got a lot of Bad things happening by the effect of false teaching, and it's going to be in the church. And and here's something I wanted to point out in, in this section here. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. It's always surreptitious. I use the word uh, covert. It's clandestine. It's something that is not meant to be... Um, you know, uh, it's not obvious on the face of people getting up and saying Jesus is, you know, terrible or God is, you know, uh, a pumpkin or, you know, whatever. To be saved, you've got to, you know, put your finger in your ear. There's nothing obvious about these. These are things that use biblical phrases and terms. I was talking to my daughter the other night about uh, uh, cultic theology, and, and she's talking about how so often they just use the same words. And of course they do. They just have completely different meanings for them. And you press further, you get under the surface, and you see and hear some of that. Uh, Jude chapter three, I just want to show this aspect of it being so subtle uh, it says I was eager to write to you about our common salvation and I add this passage here to your attention call it to your attention because that's the problem destructive heresies it something that he wanted to talk about that we are saved but he said he found it necessary why because there's certain things being taught that are going to impinge upon whether we have a common salvation or not that's what we call heresy something that's crooked something that is not proper. It's not biblically accurate. Not about third or tertiary uh, issues, secondary or or, or, uh, tertiary issues, but about uh, primary importance, matters of what it is to be saved, who is God, who is Christ. He said, I had to write to you appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's been clearly codified in scriptural writing. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, and that's the part here, who have long ago been designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, and this is so common, taking the edge off of Christianity, into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So the destructive heresies being secretly brought in to the church, I just want you to know we need to recognize it will be camouflaged, it will not be easy to identify, and that's a big part of the problem with false teaching in general. Uh, Take a look at this phrase, and I know this gives people a lot of pause. If you actually go back to this text here, it talks about uh, they deny our only master and Lord, and you're saying, okay, well, they're false teachers. So these certain people denying our master and Lord, well, that kind of separates them into a different camp. But the wording here in our passage, they deny the master who bought them. And I said, as I read this through a couple of minutes ago, uh, we had to put that in quotations. Why? Because there's an aspect in which these folks are not just out there in a in a church down the street or a synagogue down the street in the first century. These people rise up among us. And I want to talk about the concept of being bought. Um, The the picture of the first concern about false prophets among the people of God, where when the people were bought, they were redeemed out of the land of Egypt by God. It's called redemption. He redeemed them. And he redeemed them physically. Now, all of a sudden, you've got people that are physically redeemed, whose heart is not right before God, and they rise up to teach false things. And that's the first warning here we get about false prophets in Deuteronomy chapter 18, at least the classic text. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name—they're claiming to be mine and my uh, spokespersons—that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods. Uh, Of course, that one's easier to uh, understand, although they're in the community of that traveling band of people in the wilderness. He says, uh, if you say in your your heart, how may we know that the word of the Lord does not? How will how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? All right? How how that how does that the case? Well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, then that word is uh, then he says that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. Uh, the prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So there's a lot of people that are speaking in the name, presuming presumptuously. Don't be afraid of him. He's not a real teacher. Well, they're in the band. They're not in Egypt listening to some, you know, philosopher in Pharaoh's court. They're out there in the body of the redeemed people, physically in that redeemed group of people. Doesn't mean they're right with God, but they're in the redeemed group. Paul warned about this, too, in Acts chapter 20. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders after three years there. He says, pay careful attention. Look at this passage, verse 28. To yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. These are the pastors of the church. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He said, okay, now the church, there's a real church within a church that are the people that he actually has purchased with his own blood. But the visible picture of the redeemed people bought by God is that, that, that group you could go to and see assembled to worship. And that's the problem. He says, after my departure, I know, and he's been good at you know, routing them out while he was there. They're fierce wolves, which is the call back to the Matthew 7, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They'll come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. And that's the deal. It's not contrary things. They're twisted things to draw the disciples after them. They have a picture in their minds, of a church that is there in Ephesus. And they say, well, there's the church. There's the people. These are the redeemed people, like the redeemed people in the desert. But there are people that are not real. They're not real Christians. They're denying, by the twisting of the teaching, the master that bought them, quote unquote. Jesus gave a parable. And look at the wording even here in Matthew chapter 13. He says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven, and again, that's The thing that it looks like right here in front of us, are we part of the kingdom of heaven? Well, we're not there yet, but are we the the card-carrying part of the citizenry of heaven? Can Can be compared to a man who sowed seed in his field, and while men were sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed seeds among, here it is, in the field, right? among the wheat, and went away, so that when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master said to the house, came to him and said, Master, did we not sow good seed in your field? Uh, how then does, does it have weeds? They look a lot alike, the wheat and the tares. He said to them, an enemy has done this, and that's their deal, the enemies at work within the church. So the servant said to them, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you also root up the wheat along with them. Here's the thing, let them both grow up Together. Let them both grow up together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles and be burned, but gather the wheat into my barns. They're going to be in that church together. Now, the angels can see the distinction clearly. God can see the distinction clearly. We can't see the distinction until we really carefully evaluate the things that they are saying and compare them to the Word of God, which is where this passage is going. And we won't take time for all this now because this is really the rest of the text, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And he starts giving examples about angels that weren't spared. He starts to talk about the ancient world during Noah's day and the promise of God is they will be judged. And that's what our passage is all about. We need to be warned. False teachers are going to be among us. So continue on in our study with us. Second Peter chapter 2 now. Uh, be sure to comment and subscribe. And we'll be back uh, on Monday with a new study of Second Peter.